Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Did you know you have a superpower? We're not talking about flying or reading minds, though those would be pretty cool. Rather, you have the incredible ability to help young people see their own superpowers. Boys and Girls Clubs and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Edmonton and Area, also called BGC Bigs, needs you now. Consider sharing your time with a young person. Over the past year, BGC Bigs heard from young people that having a mentor means they're less likely to have anxiety, feel isolated, or struggle with their mental health. There are over 600 young people waiting for a mentor in their lives today. Explore how you can get involved and watch our community change one life at a time. There's currently a need for mentors in the Big Brothers, Big Sisters, or Big Siblings program, in school, for our Youth in Care program, and for the new PRISM program supporting LGBTQ young people. There's also a need for virtual tutors who can support young people as they transition back to school and are dealing with learning loss from the past two years. Join BGC Biggs for a virtual coffee or apply now at bgcbiggs.ca or Google BGC Biggs Edmonton. Your priority, their future. Welcome back to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. (laughs) Come in, pull up a chair, reading carpet, cushion, whatever you like. Whatever you have on hand, throw in your smoking jacket, Ooh, light fancy. up a pipe. <laughs> Pour yourself a cognac. A little, a little snifter. <laughs> get, out, get out your reading socks. Yep. Uh, light up a fire. Maybe some hot cocoa. Crackling fire near your plush leather chair in your mahogany lined <laughs> library. I think you are misunderstanding our readership <laughs> basis here. Look, we're just setting the tone. <laughs> we're, we're creating a mood. As we all sit around and chat with each other. As we all gather around the smartphone to listen to a <laughs> podcast. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> we can, we can, it, reading is about theater of the mind as much as podcasting can be. I love it. Yeah. So just, just setting the tone. <laughs> I'm okay. All right. Well, <laughs> with. With that silliness out of the way, perhaps we'll just dive right into a recap of our previous chapter. Sure. In which uh, Jebby is introduced to Vey's unorthodox family. Yes. Her multiple parents. As they all kind of work to get Jebby into shape enough that they can fly Arazi out of the city. Just in time for the Razani forces to show up and burn Vey's house to the ground. Yeah. Fate of family... Unclear. Fingers crossed, though. But that uh, leads us into Chapter 16 of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. So we start in the air. <laughs> yes. Jebby and Vey and Arazi have fled the city and are making haste to this rebel outpost, this recruitment camp. That uh, Vey knows about. You can call it a rebel base. You can just call it a rebel base. I did call it a rebel base. <laughs> Different words, but yeah. May have called it a camp. It, more of a camp. It's a rebel base. Uh, and the implication is that it's not going to be one for very much longer because by the end of the chapter, they're like, we need to get out of here before the Razani forces show up. So. <laughs> Indeed. I want to talk about this flight for a minute. Yeah. That we go on. Um, if there is one 
overarching theme to Jebby. Not necessarily Jebby's character arc, right? More like a character trait Mm -hmm. that keeps coming out is that artists gonna art. Yeah. Everything that Jebby takes in has to do with creativity and art. They are flying on a mechanical dragon. They should be pooping their pants with fear based on how that was set up earlier. Instead, Jebby takes long, drawn-out observations of the landscape, right? The change of perspective, looking at the city from the top down and wondering how they could turn that into art and wondering why they didn't paint more landscapes This, like, with this you know, beautiful scenery beneath them. Jebby can't help themselves. No, Jebby is an aesthete and... Very, very much so. 100%. Yeah, uh, aesthetics are very much paramount to them, uh, to the point of myopia, and that's going to factor into later discussions in this chapter. Um, so, of course, they get carried away by the beautiful vista. Like, that's just, of course they do. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else draws their attention, like this this great scenery in front of them. One thing that I did appreciate as well is that uh, our author, Yoon Ha Lee, made a point of how cold it is that high up. It would be very cold and very windy. It is very cold. I mean, coupled with the fact that it's winter time. Yeah. It's just, it's cold high up. And Jebby is feeling that chill as they fly away. In all honesty, the fact that Jebby and Vey are having a conversation in the air kind of amazes me. I mean, conversation in quotations. Vey is shouting very loud and like gesticulating and making big mouth movements yeah. so that they can kind of be understood. I know, but the fact that that's happening at all. Like, I know you see it in movies all the time that people are yelling at each other while, like, skydiving or something. But the truth of the matter is, it is super duper windy and loud. Yeah. And you really can't hear anything. Not they really. did a whole Mythbusters episode on it. Yeah. At any rate, the uh, the duo astride Arazi make their way into the hills, yeah. the mountains. And I don't know how far away they are. Jebby, once again, kind of loses track of the passage of time well, but the implication is certainly that they it, less than a day oh yeah yeah but if you've never traveled by dragon i have no idea how fast they're going i don't neither know does how... jebby yeah that's just it jebby doesn't know either they could be on the other side of the country i have no idea probably not quite that far. i know they're out of the city i know they're out in the woods yeah but that's really all we've got and it makes so much sense i appreciate that that it's a very realistic thing like, if you've never flown in an airplane, well, you have no idea how fast you can go. You have to remember as well, our uh, point of view character is Jebby, who has never really left the capital. Right. They're an, an urban elite <laughs> from basically a young age uh, with very little curiosity outside of their own little bubble, which, again, we're going to come back to, mm-hmm. put a pin in that. Um, and so, like, it tracks that they wouldn't know where they are. They're traveling at an unknown speed. To an unknown destination. Yeah, exactly. They probably has a better idea where oh, they are than guaranteed. Jebby. And Arazi certainly does. They're, I actually want to kind of circle back on that because sure. there's an interesting little conversation they have about Vey's dad, actually. Mm, yes. Because Vey's dad was apparently quite amazed at the amount of mountains in Hilly Hwaguk when he arrived and like was legitimately wondering if, like, could they have possibly named all of these mountains? Because while he is from the island nation of Razan, which we can now firmly say is definitely 
fantasy Japan. <laughs> um, he comes from planes, basically, like floodplains. Yeah. And so he did, like there were hills for the most part, not a lot of mountains. He's not used to that kind of scenery. And it was very much kind of wondrous to him when he first came. And this further leads into a conversation about how he kind of fell in love with this land. And it makes Jebby wonder, like, can you love an adopted homeland more than your actual homeland? Like, is is that possible? And and Jebby's kind of contexting it with the idea of, like, rebels and expats and whatnot. Does his heart always belong to Razan, or has he found a new home and now his heart belongs to Hwaguk? And there's there's an interesting kind of philosophical quandary that Jebby finds themselves in there. Especially because they're dealing with foreign occupiers and um, they're about to meet with a resistance that's trying to kick the Razani out. Like the the real question of are there Razani like Vey, like Vey's dad, who identify more as Hwaguk now? I mean, it, maybe it makes sense. Like in the real world, people immigrate all the time. We have a friend who just became a Canadian citizen. Yeah. Right? Cool. Yeah. I was born and raised in Canada and. Even though I have traveled to lots of other places, I've always lived here. And this is, of course, without getting into a much more muddied discussion about colonialism and settler culture. Uh, yes. All of that history aside, speaking for me in my own personal life. Yes. Born and raised in Canada. I have always lived here in Alberta. I don't know how much I would or would not miss here if I moved somewhere else. Hard to say. So I'm I'm afraid I can't speak on that experience because I've never done it. And uh, I know people who were born and raised elsewhere who now live in Edmonton who very loudly say I'm an Edmontonian. Yeah, like this is my home now, and Absolutely. I and I love the city and I I love this place. So, well, see, yeah, I wonder if it depends on the person. Might depend on the person. Might depend on the place. Mm -hmm. Another book I read uh, a long while back was about a lady who was living in Australia. And she went through this sort of experiment with her family where she removed all of the screens for, I believe, an entire year. No nothing, no screens in the house. And one of the little subplots of that was that she never really felt like an Australian. She wasn't born and raised there. She was an American who had moved to Australia and had lived there for many, many years. Like all of her children, born and raised in Australia, right? Her, her ex-husband was Australian. And she never felt like she belonged there. And I don't think it was Australia's fault. I think that was her. I think mm. that was her not feeling in the right place. So I think it could go either way. You can find a new home and be like, ah, yes, this is where I belong. I love it here. I'm going to stay forever. This is where I'm planting my heart. And maybe some people do it the other way. You can go wherever, but you've planted your heart somewhere else. Yeah. And so you'll never belong anywhere else. Anyway, that was a big sidetrack. They and Jebby don't take the sidetrack we took. They, they head pretty much directly to the rebel encampment. Oh, we're also not shouting in a windstorm at each other. Yeah. Um, they get spotted as they uh, get close and Arazi comes down to land and they're quickly surrounded by a rebel group who are like, uh, state your business, basically. <laughs> Here's the thing. And Jebby's like, I don't think they've spotted us. Oh, Jebby. <laughs> they land and the, the person they meet who, who talks to them is like, oh, yeah, you're on a flying dragon. You're not exactly subtle. Like, we spotted you many miles out. Well, and Han makes a distinction here. Uh, she points out that uh, people in the city might not look up very often because there's not much reason to. But out in the wilderness, they're constantly looking for messenger birds and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they do keep their eyes on the sky. So a giant flying dragon is not something that's going to, let's say, go under their radar. That's true. Uh, speaking as someone who lives in a city, I actually look up fairly often. <laughs> Han 
kind of accepts their story uh, as presented right off the bat. Vey's like, we're defectors. We're here to speak to your leadership. We've got some information that might be of use to you. Hans obviously got a little bit of skepticism, but is like, all right, we'll, we'll hear you out. And Vey is disarmed and Jebby's backpack is, is taken. And the three of them are marched as much as you can march a large dragon automata <laughs> uh, to the camp. And Han's like, your dragon's going to have to wait outside. The two of you can come into the tent. We'll have a chat. Jebby, of course, name drops Bongsunga right away. And is like, I'm, I know Bongsunga. That's who we're here to see. And gets like a cold vibe from Han at first and thinks maybe there's like some factionalism going on or something's up. I think maybe Jebby's just bad at reading people. Or Han is very good at deception. It could be either. And Han brings them in and kind of debriefs them a little more fully. Like, what's going on here? What were you doing? Why are you here now? Uh, what do you think is going on with yeah. armor? You are clearly related to Bong Sunga. You look just like her. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jebby just, like, info dumps. Yeah, just basically, like, lets everything spill. Yeah. Pretty much the same way they had to Bong Sunga several chapters ago. Yeah. Jebby's bursting to tell someone about <laughs> all this. And once again, it's just like... Blah, 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 blah. Um, tries to hold back a little bit of information, but, uh... But Jebby is bad at this. Yeah. And finally, when, when all is said and done, Han's like, so you believe them? And Bong Sunga steps into the tent and is like, yeah, I pretty, pretty much believe them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds good. This is when Jebby realizes that they were being misled a little bit and is like, Arazi, you should probably get out of here. And Arazi's like, no, we're cool. I was talking to Bong Sunga. We were chatting with Han. <laughs> and Jebby's just like, oh. So a couple things happen kind of all at once. Number one, Bongsunga makes it very clear that while she does care for Jebby, the needs of the nation supersede that. Bongsunga is a patriot first and foremost, and is willing to put the needs of the nation over Jebby, without question, 100%. Yeah. Number two, Vey is there partly out of loyalty to Jebby. Yep. Vey is in love and Aww. is and was willing to put aside honor for that love, which is interesting. Yeah. To me. Because Vey flat out states at one point, I'm here because I am loyal to Jebby. It was more like, I agree with your cause, I'm on your side, but I'm here because I'm loyal to Jebby. Yeah. Not because I'm here to be loyal to you. Yeah. Which which is saying something, and that I think that's meaningful. I think so too. We also learned that Arazi is willing to bend a little bit on its principles because while it remains a staunch pacifist and is resolute in its decision not to take lives, it recognizes that there might be a need to aid a cause seeking to mitigate further loss of life yeah. or more substantial loss of life. Sort of like the lesser of all evils. Right? Yeah. And so Arazi has agreed to act essentially as an airborne troop transport, a dropship. <laughs> uh, to allow the rebellion to make some lightning raids against Razani encampments in an effort to put pressure on them to encourage them to maybe pull out of the territory. Vey and Jebby are both like, that's probably not going to work. Hafandon's not going to be too interested in abandoning everything because he's a hardliner, like he's a true believer. Oh, yeah. And Bongsunga's like, that may be true, but he's also the deputy minister. And the minister of armor might be much more reasonable. In fact, we have reason to believe would be much more reasonable to deal with. So what we've actually done is we've bribed a courier to bring information implicating Hafandin in basically all of the 
shady stuff he's been involved in. Yeah, it's it's not so much making stuff up. Like, they're not supplying false information. They're just tattling on him. Yeah, because Hafandin's been able to keep a tight lid on what's been going on in District 14. And they're basically going to tell the minister, hey, you should probably keep a closer eye on what's going on in District yeah, 14. There's, there's some things happening. And Hafandin has uh, suffered a series of failures he's been keeping to himself. So you should probably get rid of that guy. Because if they can get rid of Hafandin and deal with the minister directly... They might be able to cut a deal, basically. Mm-hmm. Jebby also gleans that Bongsunga is not just some functionary with the rebellion. <laughs> it's very clear that Bongsunga is calling the shots in this camp. Practically outright states that's the case. The penny drops for Jebby that Bongsunga is like a leader in the rebellion. They ask, how long have you been involved in the insurrection? And Bongsuga's like, I've been involved for like 10 years, practically since the day after Gia died. It was like, it was like two days after... Gia died or something like that? Yeah, Bung Sunga volunteered. Mm-hmm. And Jebby's like, how did I not know? And Bung Sunga's like, you never showed any interest. And that cuts Jebby to the quick. As it should. Yeah. We speculated earlier on that Bung Sunga had been sheltering Jebby. Mm-hmm. But based on Bung Sunga's attitude and response to that question, I'm beginning to doubt that's the case. Right? Like, And not just that, like all of her actions... Basically, after this book starts. Yeah. It, it kind of related to that, a conversation that you and I had earlier off mic mm-hmm. uh, about how I feel this this almost is a failed coming of age story, right? Up until this point in the book, we talk about how things go over Jebby's head all the time. Yep. And for the first little while, it was like, oh, Jebby, <laughs> like, huh, you're so silly. Get it together. And at this point in the book, it's like an eye roll and a frustrated, ugh. Like, Jebby. Get it together. Get it together. Open your eyes. Jebby's got serious myopia when it comes to what's going on around them. And it's just because of total disinterest. And Bongsunga basically calls that out right here. Like, you have no interest in anything outside of your little bubble. You were in, you were interested in art and nothing else. I'm beginning to wonder if Bongsunga wasn't sheltering Jebby so much as Jebby just wasn't noticing the obvious clues. Mm-hmm. And that would explain why Bongsunga reacted so viscerally to Jebby at the beginning of the book saying, by the way, I've just applied to be a collaborator with the government that you hate. Right. And Bongsunga just being like, what? Are you serious? Like, do you not see what's going on here? <laughs> as opposed to, like being vague about it, maybe Bong Sungo was being a little more on the nose and was just legitimately astonished that Jebby could be so willfully ignorant of what was going on. Yeah. Like Jebby's ostensibly an adult, but frequently through this book, it's felt like they've been a teenager out of their depth with a bunch of adults in the room. And that definitely felt like the case here in the tent, in the rebel base here, because Han and Bong Sunga and Vey and Arazi are all having a serious adult conversation, and Jebby feels like a kid stuck in the middle of it. Yeah, but yeah. Jebby, but Jebby is an adult, an adult person, right? <laughs> how old? How old did we decide Jebby was at the beginning of this book? Uh, at the very least, like early twenties. Must be early twenties. Early to mid, maybe. Yeah. So I think it can be forgiven for Jebby to, as a teenager, to not fully grasp what's going on. But at this point in their life. They really should have yeah. by now, right? Yeah. and it's At a, some point. <laughs> and it's telling that like from early on in the book, we were like, this seems like important information that Jebby's just brushing off. And now it's like, oh, Jebby's been doing that for a very long time. 
because Jebby just has not had any interest in very serious stuff that's been going on around them. Jebby's been very selfish and self-interested for a long time. And only now are they being faced with that fact and having to deal with like serious repercussions to that that have affected their family and their love life and their professional career. Like it's all coming back on them at this point. Yeah. It is a wake-up call that is probably needed. And overdue. But also, like, I'm I'm sympathetic. No, no. Like, Jebby is not an unsympathetic character, and I feel bad for them. Yes. That this is all on their head all of a sudden, and it's partly their fault. I don't think Bonsuga is entirely blameless. Oh, no, for in sure. In this, especially when it was very obvious that Jebby wasn't getting it. Maybe Bonsuga should have been more forthright. Yeah, maybe Bonsuga should have said something. Hey, look, this is a thing I'm doing. I don't expect you to want to join me, but I need you to know what's up. Yeah. And the fact that Bong Sunga didn't also speaks to a lack of trust to a certain extent. Yeah. So you're right. Bong Sunga's not totally blameless, but I think maybe earlier in the book, we were much more sympathetic to Jebby and putting a lot more of the blame on Bong Sunga. And now it really does seem like there's some blame to spread around. Yeah. Bong Sunga, more or less, raised Jebby. So... I think part of it is a you reap what you sow, and part of it isn't. Well, it's it's pretty clear that Gia's death drove a wedge between them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two siblings grew apart after that. And they're a little both at fault from it, too. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And now, unfortunately, they have to further deal with Gia's death, not just in an effort to reconcile, but for the fact that Jebby has fallen in love with the person who killed Gia. <laughs> yeah. Who is a valuable asset? So it's not like Bong Suga can just be like, uh, kill that person. Vengeance no, killing? Yeah, like no. the duelist prime of armor is a hugely valuable asset. And if Bong Suga is the patriot that she's claiming to be, she has to put aside that personal desire for vengeance. <laughs> it's very true. But uh, we don't know how that's going to shake out because Bong Suga hasn't been presented with that information yet. But perhaps she will be presented with that information in chapter 17. Maybe you'll want to read up on in time for next mm-hmm. week. In the meantime, you know, one of the things that we kind of touched on is how Vey's dad fell in love with a place that he was living. And whether or not you uh, live in your community uh, from birth or you've adopted it from having moved there later on in life, um, chances are it is a place that you'd like to see flourish and get better. And there are often opportunities that would allow you to assist in that. And here in Edmonton, at the very least, the Edmonton Community Foundation offers regular people an opportunity to create endowment funds to give back to the community. And they have a podcast that talks all about it. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out the wellendowedpodcast.com. Well Endowed Podcast. Yeah, we've talked about them a lot. Yeah, and we will talk about them a lot as they continue to give us money to do so. Probably. That's how it works. <laughs> That's how advertisement works. But in all honesty, they are a great organization and uh, definitely worth supporting and checking out. So um, you can find out more about the Edmonton Community Foundation right now at the Alberta Podcast Network website. 
albertapodcastnetwork.com. While you're there, you'll also find the wonderful podcasts that populate the network on a broad variety of topics. It is a vast library of listening. Indeed. Uh, You can find those podcasts on your podcatcher of choice. It's probably also where you're finding our podcast. Yeah. Give us a little rating and review. That would help us out. We'd appreciate it. We would like to show that appreciation via social media. Absolutely. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads, because we bookish. And we're at the read-along at all of, or most of the above. Most of them, I think. Uh, Except for Goodreads, really, where you can just search for us by name. You can also reach out to us via email. Absolutely. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Oh, my God, it's a rebel base. And the person in charge is named Han. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.